Hi everybody and welcome back to Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and you're listening to episode number 69 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. Today, once again, I'm going to be doing just that. Not only talking about a few specific films, but the overall filmography of my favorite director and a director whose name is certainly in the headlines these days. Of course, I'm talking about Christopher Nolan, the creative mind behind such popular and enduring films as the Dark Knight trilogy, Memento, Inception, and most recently, Oppenheimer, which you may have heard me say a few positive words about just a week or so ago, and I will have many more uh, enthusiastic things to say about that film, because as I indicated last week, it is without question my favorite film of the year. And just looking ahead at the calendar, there's a few more films that I'm definitely looking forward to to seeing, but nothing is going to compare to Oppenheimer as far as I'm concerned because just the magnitude of the film and then the fact that it is directed by my my favorite filmmaker, it's just the chef's kiss uh, on top of a movie-going year. But today I wanted to take some time and... I don't know if a deep dive analysis is the right way to to put this episode. It's more of me taking a look at Christopher Nolan's films. I'm going to highlight four films and sort of break down what I think are the the tenets, if you will, of his filmmaking style and and the cinematic scope, if you will, uh, of Christopher Nolan as a director. But First off, wanted to just do a little bit of housekeeping at the start of today's show. Uh, did not have a Let Me Fill You In show this past Wednesday. I want to uh, apologize for that. As, as many of you may uh, understand and know, life uh, sometimes happens and things are beyond our control. And I've certainly had uh, a few uh, ups and downs uh, in, in recent weeks just with some uh, ongoing family uh, uh, health uh, Dynamic, shall we say, but uh, fingers crossed that things are going to get a little better, a little bit easier, but uh, you know, I do apologize for uh, missing the show. I always try to, to make it a, a, a priority uh, regardless of, of what is going on in uh, sort of the day-to-day schedule of my life because, again, it's just a, a commitment, but it's also something that I enjoy doing, and, and I'm just pleased that I'm able to take some time and and uh, talk with you talk uh, to you <laughs> depending how you uh, want to look at it uh, about movies because that is what this has ultimately been about since January of 2022 this has been a passion project but of course as I have said many many times and I will say it many more times again not only is it a passion project but the friendships and the connections that have been made while doing this cinematic journey have been all the more worthwhile and enjoyable. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you to the friends. Thank you to everyone for tuning in each week and hearing what I have to say on movies. God willing, I am going to keep doing this as long as my voice will will let me, as long as it is possible. Certainly movies are not going anywhere. And despite all of the grumblings about artificial intelligence, uh, I, I don't think... Filmmaking is going to be uh, going to be replaced by some uh, some computer operating system. You know, not not if I have anything to uh, to say about it. I will defend the the process. I will defend 
the importance of actual storytelling and and real filmmaking, not something crafted uh, with uh, artificial intelligence that has no emotion, no depth, and no resonance. And that is a perfect segue to today's show. Today's show, of course, I mentioned about Christopher Nolan and. Christopher Nolan, you know, he's one of these few directors who, in many ways, has you know, opened uh, a kind of a how do I put this a uh, carte blanche, if you will, with the the general audience. I mean, certainly cinephiles and and people who are passionate about movies, uh, uh, a lot of people revere his work, and he is certainly, I believe, in the same conversation as people like Stanley Kubrick and. Um, the Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese just as a, a, a towering director and someone who really has defined the medium uh, for for the, the better part of the last uh, at least 20 years or so. But one thing I I think is so clear about Christopher Nolan and you see it throughout all of his all of his films, he is a real filmmaker. Now you might. I wonder what I mean by that. I've just gone on a little mini rant about artificial intelligence and, and computerized filmmaking. No, again, I'm not uh, you know, meant to be a, a bashing anyone who uses digital technology to enhance and, and tell a story. Again, I think it can be used effectively as a tool in the filmmaking process. But what I mean by a real filmmaker, what I'm talking about, Christopher Nolan, he is someone who maybe not outright rejects because his films will sometimes have a little finishing touch or a polish after the fact, but he is someone who prefers on-set shooting, real sets versus in a studio and use of a green screen. He prefers being on location and shooting as much as, if not the entire thing, in camera and you can look no further than his most recent film, Oppenheimer, where he recreated the the Trinity test, which was the first successful detonation uh, test of the of the atom bomb. And again, that could have all been done with the with the effects of digital technology. You could have had it done right in a computer, and, and many directors would have done that. And again, would have made it spectacular viewing uh, spectacle. But Christopher Nolan took the steps to actually create not a literal atomic explosion, but pretty darn close to simulating what happened and, and to, again, give us that feel of depth and scope. And if you watch a side-by-side comparison, again, plug for Oppenheimer because, as I've said, this is my film of the year. It's just towering in its in its magnitude and just uh, it, it, its breadth of, of a complicated Patriot, but if you show, if you watch the the scene where they they actually detonate the bomb for the first time, they test it. If you sh- do watch a side by side comparison of the actual test that happened in in Los Alamos with Oppenheimer and company, it is almost a a a recreation on film of what actually happened in the in the testing site. I mean, just. From the, the camera angles to the to the actual look on on the people's faces to how the effect occurred, it, it's it's a masterclass uh, in, in recreation. But but that's who who Nolan is. He is someone who who prefers to 
make it as real as possible. And, and I respect that uh, a great deal because I am a, a proponent and a believer that if you have some sense of of realism and depth to your stories, people are going to buy into it. Take his Batman films as just an example. You have a fantastical character in the case of Batman, but yet if you're able to ground it in reality, if you're able to add an element of realism, I'm thinking just as an example, the truck scene in The Dark Knight. That was all done on location. They actually flipped a truck. They didn't use any computer enhancements. They flipped it in the middle of a Chicago street. And again, it's little things like that, but it, it goes a long way in not only sort of you know paying credit to your audience, but 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 allowing that sense of of realism and and believability in the sometimes the most fantastical. Uh, of, of situations, I think another film like Interstellar, where again you could have largely relied on green screen technology to accomplish your uh, your point, but again, no women company went to great lengths to recreate a, or I should say, create a a I want to say an alien like environment, but 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 an, an, an another worldly experience, and again. Don't just take my word for it. You can, you know, go to go, go to Google just as an example, and you can type in Christopher Nolan films behind the scenes, and you can see. I would probably argue ninety nine percent of his films, if not ninety nine point nine percent of his films, are actually done on location with real sets in, in in real settings, as opposed to being in a studio or a backlot or or reliant entirely on on digital technology. I think that element of realism just goes so far in 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 making the case for your story, but also showing that that. It can make sense. Again, I go back to the Batman films as a perfect example. Batman is a comic book character, and prior to Batman Begins and the later films, Christopher Nolan, you know, all of the the Batman movies had been sort of grounded in a fantastical, you know, kind of quote unquote comic booky world. And Christopher Nolan's idea was to take Batman, this comic book character, but who is innately human, and ground him in a world that we recognize as our own. And I mean, again, those films I can I could go on and on at, at great length uh, for days and days. But I think why, in part, they were so successful in addition to the performances and just the, the spectacle of them. But I think it was the realism, you know, treating, as he said, a superhero in a realistic fashion had never been done before 2005, not to the, to the level of, of, of what Nolan did. And again, if you just sort of look at Batman Begins as a, another example of that element on realism, he tried to put a logical explanation to everything that Bruce Wayne was doing in his quest to become Batman. So it wasn't like, all right, he puts on the cape and, and, and cowl and all of a sudden he's ready to go out and fight crime. No, there was an explanation of, okay, where did the Batmobile come from? Where does he get all his gadgets? Again, a real world application. And, and the, the, uh, the cape that Batman wears in the film was based off of an actual uh, uh, type of material that was used by the government called memory cloth, and it could be molded to to shape into different uh, you know, uh, elements and, and or different uh, uh, 
you know, figures and whatnot. And so that kind of real-world application was applied to the film. And again, I think it just adds such a more uh, level of credibility that, that, I mean, now it's almost commonplace because I think comic book movies tend to sort of go overboard in explaining the uh, the, the, the the world, so to speak. But but Nolan kind of was the one that, that broke the mold in a way and, and found a new way to tell these stories. And, and again, take them seriously and, and be on, you know, honor the mythology, but also find a way to, to create that realism that would connect with the audience versus, okay, well, just another comic book movie. But, you know, that's sort of the you know, broad picture when I, when I think of Christopher Nolan. He is a real filmmaker. This is not something that's going to rely on, on digital technology or cheap carnival tricks. He's, he's, a, he's determined to tell an engaging story, a fascinating story, and one that is going to captivate the audience. Uh, when you watch a Christopher Nolan film, I think someone said it best, the best way to describe it, in many ways it's an experience. You don't necessarily think, even though his films uh, at times can be very you know, heavy in, in terms of exposition and, and dialogues and, and situation, but it's really an event. It's an experience to watch his movies. And he's one of the sort of the last few directors who can sort of get butts in the seats, if you will, based on the fact that it's a film by him. I mean, he's sort of a, you know, at this point, a, an institution in and of himself. I mean, Oppenheimer is a phenomenal film, and, and, it, and it deserves all of the praise and accolades that it's getting. But I think there's an added cachet to it because it is, in, in all of the, the, the publicity and, and notoriety, a film written and directed by Christopher Nolan. And that, and that goes even to beyond just, oh, a film by Nolan. You know, he's writing a movie, he's directing a movie. But he also is relying and uses film. He's, he's one of the few directors who will actually shoot on film. He is a huge proponent of IMAX and IMAX cameras. And frankly, if you see any of his films on the IMAX screen, it, it's an immersive experience unlike anything uh, you've ever seen. I mean, The Dark Knight, for example, on IMAX still is one of those towering achievements and, and cinematic pleasures for me. Uh, but but again, he, he's determined to to use the medium and use it in a way that is effective to tell the stories. It's not just, okay, take a camera and shoot. He's actually going out there and, and doing it sort of, you know, with a point and, and with a message. And just as a, an interesting aside, in, in 2012, Nolan was able to use his his cachet and his status to help convince directors and other studios to support the saving and preservation of actual film instead of just relying on uh, on digital technology but actually shooting films uh, on film you know think of Kodaks or, or, or things like that and and because of Nolan's credibility because of Nolan's stature people bought into it and thus you know the the, the industry went from kind of going half and half uh, or, or leaning more towards the digital end to then embracing uh, the, the, the preservation of film entirely. That's the power of Christopher Nolan, but that's also his dedication to to the filmmaking art process. And it really is an art. And I consider Nolan, uh, as much as a storyteller and as much as a, a filmmaker, he really is an artist. And he's out there to use the tools of the trade. It would be like taking away... Um, you know, a, a painter's brush in, in many ways. All those are tools. And again, with Christopher Nolan, 
he can do anything. He can do any kind of film. This is the movie theater in the movie screen. Kirk, he can do a science fiction movie like Interstellar. Of course, we know what he did with Batman, with the Dark Knight trilogy, but now with a film like Oppenheimer, you know, his his palette is so diverse and his films are so wide-ranging and 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 just exciting just by their own existence that I think he is able to generate enthusiasm whereas you know other directors may not be able to achieve that status uh anymore and again I think a lot of it is it's it's cyclical I think these things sort of uh, ebb and ebb and flow but I mean Christopher Nolan has certainly shown time and again that this is that he is a filmmaker that knows what he's doing and when you go to see one of his films it's not just to oh pass time or or, or go see a, a quick uh, popcorn flick it, it, there's usually something important behind it and and usually i and i have found this in, with a lot of his films you have to see it more than once you have to be able to experience it and then you kind of you know look for all the keys and the clues i mean i look at a movie like memento which is one of his first uh films and that is a classic case of Nolan's style of non-linear storytelling. He is, he really is, is almost, that's his trademark in a lot of ways, that and the use of time in his movies, but he, he loves the non-linear story structure versus just sort of starting from A and going to Z. Uh, and a lot of his films, not so much on, on Batman per se, but I think of a film like uh, Memento, I think of a film like Tenet, uh, even to an extent with Oppenheimer, uh, you're not just going from A to Z. You could start on P and then work your way back to A and then go over to D and then jump down to X. And then, you know, I mean, again, I'm sort of uh, being a little uh, hyperbolic, but you can understand there's a, sort of a, a, a creative editing, if you will, with the storytelling. And it's one of those situations where sometimes you don't know what exactly is happening, but then it all sort of weaves together in this beautiful mosaic. And again, I think Oppenheimer is a classic case of that, where you know you start off in one point, you cut to another uh, situation or, or, or a time, which could be even years after the fact. You go back in time to a different situation, and again, it all just sort of comes together in this 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 big picture that you finally can see at the end of the film. And you're like, okay, wow, now now I see what was uh what was intended here and that's that's again that's another one of his his trademarks the ability to to create these these vast stories which again can can take on different layers and different meanings and 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 sort of you know force you to 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 pay attention especially if you're going to go back and watch it a second or a third time uh, i can think of that with a film like the prestige or or even inception you know again just little clues that you may not have um uh, you know, picked up the first time, and and then of course seeing it later on, you you, you put it all together. I mean, I can uh, attest recently to to Oppenheimer. There were other things that I caught on on the second go around that I missed the first time. Just again, you're, you it's it's the experience in a lot of ways the first time, and then the second time you're almost like a detective going around and saying, oh, okay, what is that? You know, does that moment lead into this, and does that uh, line of dialogue have a payoff later? And 
That's actually another perfect segue. I'm also, I'm all over the map today, and again, I'm sort of doing non-linear uh, 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 dialogue myself here. So you know, bear with me if that's not your not your cup of tea. But again, I'm doing my best to to honor my uh, my favorite director today. But uh, that's another thing with his films. There's a great sense of of payoff where particularly a line will have significance down the road. Uh, again, I think of the Batman films as a, as a perfect example of that, where a character will say something you know, at one point, usually in Act 1 of the film, and then it will have a significant effect later on. And in, and in a lot of ways, that earlier setup kind of defines what the whole movie ends up being about. Again, I think of kind of Inception did that, but but certainly with the Batman films, I mean, I think of uh, The Dark Knight, uh, the famous line with Harvey Dent, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Again, that really defines the parameters of that movie, and then, of course, it ultimately has the payoff at the very end with you know, Harvey Dent falling from grace and, and then Batman covering for him and, and, and embracing this noble lie to spare the city. I love that kind of stuff in a movie because it's not just you know, throwaway dialogue. And, and that's another thing with Nolan's films. And he has said this. He, he writes from page one to the end. And, and he writes almost as an editor. So you know, if you watch Nolan's films and then go on to the DVDs or Blu-rays afters, afterwards, there's never any uh, deleted scenes. There's never any uh, extended cuts because he writes as an editor. He's writing as if he's shooting the movie right there. And so he's trimming out the fat. He's not putting anything excess. Everything that, are, that is in his movies is there to enhance the plot, enhance the story, and deliver a satisfying conclusion. And that's something I love about his work. I mean, again, I've just been sort of gushing here. As you can see, I, I here I am a fanboy, and I make no excuse and no uh, uh, no no excuse for that. I I I adore his work, and I will always uh, be a defender of it. But but in many ways, that that's the mark of a of a great writer. He knows exactly what he wants, and and he doesn't he doesn't mince words. He goes right to the heart of the story. And, and just as an aside. You know, the original script for The Dark Knight Rises, uh, the final film in his Batman trilogy, was rumored to be around 400 pages at a first draft. So that kind of, you know, that might, might be the one instance where, you know, no one wrote to extremes. But again, you know, sort of always looking to, to, to focus on what's the story, what's going to enhance the narrative versus just, well, you know, we'll have this scene for the hell of it. There's none of that in his movies. And I really appreciate that because he doesn't waste obviously his time or the actor's time, but he doesn't want to waste the audience's time. You know, you're there, you're there for the experience, and, and it's, a lot of ways it can be, it can be like a ride, and, you, and you're sort of going there for that, for that engagement, for that, that stimulation, for that thrill. And, and it's, it's, it's evident in all of his films, particularly, can I go back to the Batman films, that they're, they're written in such a way and shot in a way that nothing is wasted, nothing is overdone, it's right there, delivering a point boom 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 so that kind of actually is another you know that's a nice little segue about about time time is a is another staple if you will i mean sort of you know between the non-linear uh structure and, and the payoffs and and the uh the, the to the point uh stories if you will in terms of, of, of editing and 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 shooting 
Time is, is a recurring theme throughout all of his films. Time in, in, can be in the terms of one's own mortality. I think of a film like Interstellar in a way where time really has a great uh, influence on that film. Uh, you know, in the case of Matthew McConaughey's character who's you know, been sent into space. And you know, for him, it could feel like you know, a few hours uh, in, his, in his ship. But on, on Earth, you know, it's been like 20, 30, 40 years. And it's just sort of that fascinating uh, passage you know, in, a, in a literal sense about one's own mortality and, and one's future. Uh, but then again, you think of a film like Inception, which really kind of you know plays with the idea of 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 one's dreams and and what is what is reality, what is what is actually happening, and the idea that you kind of you know invert someone's own uh, uh, subconscious to have an effect in the real world. And then of course there is there is Tenet, and Tenet is without without a doubt no one's most controversial film. Not necessarily uh, uh, from a, uh, a negative standpoint, but, but this is one of those movies where it's, it's really best if you just ex- you go in and experience it because this is, this is Christopher Nolan's uh, attempt on a, on a spy thriller. And it's, it's, it's big, it's, it's, it's grandiose, and time plays an interesting element in it with the characters sort of going back in time, but then forward in time, and sort of you know, being able to, to stop time. And then, you know, there's one great scene where sort of the characters are, are going in a situation where they're in a car, and then they're able to sort of, you know, reverse time and kind of watch it go by, you know, in slow motion while they're going forward. I mean, it's truly a, a mind-bending experience, but it, it is one of those situations where can I encourage people to watch at least twice just to sort of get through the initial shock of it because, uh, you know, most of the time, like you're saying, like, what the hell is going on here? Um, but, again, that's part of his, his repertoire. He, he likes to have time play an element and ultimately... You know, be a part of the story, whether whether it's in the grand uh, sense of the plot uh, or the story, or or an element in the plot. Again, I go back to the Batman films, uh, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, the, the the instance of time plays a big factor uh, in the case of The Dark Knight with the Joker and his attempts to you know get the citizens of Gotham's to, to Gotham to turn against each other, or you know when there's a countdown clock and The Dark Knight Rises and you know, Batman and, and and Catwoman and Gordon are trying to stop a bomb from being detonated in in, in the city again, sort of more in that uh, you know Hitchcockian tradition of of a of a countdown clock, but uh, again just different elements that all sort of tie together, whether it's you know vis-a-vis plot or ultimately in uh, service of a, of a larger story. And, and kind of on that, that point, I'll, this will be the last, uh, the last uh, uh, bullet uh, point that I'll mention for you. Uh, the other element for Nolan's films, and, and you particularly see it in really in all of his movies, and, and you can definitely see it in Oppenheimer, he tells stories that involve Usually uh, a, a male uh, character, but someone who is is very flawed, and his protagonists are, are are morally gray characters. And again, you think of Batman, you think of of Oppenheimer, you think of uh, Cobb from Inception. All of these are not straightforward 
good guys. There's there's a lot of depth and complexities to them, and I think that's a great that's a great way to go about it with a story because the world, despite how much we'd like it to be, is not black and white. There are shades of gray in everybody and in every situation, and so therefore the characters and and certainly protagonists should be that way. We want flawed characters because that's the only way they can grow and they can learn if everyone was perfect and 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 flawless well there would be no story it would be nothing exciting for the audience to to watch or take away from but if we can see a character struggle if we can see a character go through adversity and then ultimately prevail uh that's that's well worth it and and I, I, I think of a film like uh, Interstellar with uh, with Matthew McConaughey. Here's someone who's, you know, an astronaut who's going out on a on a world saving mission to try to save the planet Earth, and and knowing very well that you know he may not ever return, but he's going out there to try to do it. And and despite all of of, of his efforts, ultimately, it, it's sort of his own family that that saves the day. And when he does return to Earth, and you know, spoilers if you have not seen the film, he has he has an age pretty much a day, even though he's been gone close to I think it's like you know, forty or fifty years. But then his his daughter and and and, and family are all either older or have uh, have passed on, and it's really this this heartbreaking moment because even though you know it's it's meant to be a, a happy note and sort of everything gets resolved that. You know, it, it, it did take so long for him to to come back and 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 find his way again, and ultimately uh, be be reunited with his family. And you know, again, there's this this really touching scene, and I I always will cite this as an example of because I mean, some people a criticism for Nolan is that oh well, he's not really good with emotion, and I think that's just bull. I think his films uh, have a lot of emotional weight, uh, and he really knows how to hit those. Hits the, hit those notes, but there's a scene in Interstellar right near the end. Again, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but it's right at the end, and, and McConaughey char- McConaughey's character has returned, and he's reunited with his his daughter. And I mean, she's essentially you know his age, you know, for all intents and purposes, she's in her her 80s, and she's on her deathbed, and he looks exactly as he did when he left Earth, you know, just like her father. And and even though he's he's older, you know she's she's dying. But but there's this this inner peace because father and daughter were finally reunited again. And and it was her, you know, sort of taking on his work and finishing his deeds on on Earth that they were able to solve the the crisis that was plaguing the planet and ultimately give humanity a brighter tomorrow. But it's it's really this this just gut wrenching scene because it's. It's so it's so raw and it is so real and it's a situation that no parent wants to to witness you know the, the death of a child and even though she's at the end of her life she's lived a full life you know no parent wants to go through that and you know she's you know the one that says you know I don't want you to be here I don't want you to see this no parent should have to lose a child in any way and it's it, it's one of those moments that I I always I will cite is 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 a point of like okay. People think Nolan is this cold, detached filmmaker. Go watch that or go watch The End of the Dark Knight Rises. Again, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Oh, I, The scene at the end where Alfred is is uh, is crying over, over what he thinks is Bruce's uh, funeral 
and and it's oh and michael kane really hits the hits the emotional chords with that performance and and it stays with you because i mean it's just i mean alfred is such a great character in the batman mythos but it's uh, it's it's a touching it's a touching moment again Another perfect example where you know people say, "Oh, Nolan doesn't 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 do emotion." He does emotion very well in his movies. So that leaves me now just to to sum up four films that I think can really define his his filmmaking. You know, if you really want to get a sense of of Christopher Nolan, certainly you could watch all three of the Dark Knight trilogy, and you get a, a fantastic and arguably the the best Batman story ever told on film. Um, but we'll save all that, that that phrase for another day. Uh, but in thinking about it, you know, he's made eleven films, and again, each one, you know, there's there's, there's overlap, there, there's there's consistency. He has a style, he has his trademarks. But I figured these four films really, I think, define who he is as as a filmmaker and and what he has to offer in terms of in terms of story. And so for me, it, it's, uh, it really comes down to, number one, The Dark Knight. I've said it before and I'll say it again. That is my favorite film of all time, not to mention my favorite Batman film. But in the case of that film, it, it just elevated the comic book genre. Nolan was firing, firing on all cylinders with this film. And, and he told a grounded superhero story that, that was still larger than life. And as far as I'm concerned cannot be topped uh, in terms of just everything drama realism heroics it, it's all right there that's a perfect uh, comic book movie in addition to being a perfect movie uh, the, another film that I would put up for for recommendation would be inception Th- this is really a great sense of, of Nolan's mind at work and kind of how he likes to, to tell stories that are that are not as they may seem it's sort of on different layers and just the, just the idea of inception I, I love the idea that you, know, you have a bunch of of kind of high stakes robbers if you will planting ideas in people's dreams to then commit crimes in in reality uh, it's it's a fascinating film and it's one that i i, I recommend especially if, if superhero films are not your cup of tea though i think no one's sort of transcend the genre but inception really gives you a sense of what no one's strengths are as a filmmaker both in terms of imaginative stories but also uh ones that have that 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 layer of okay something else is going on here i mean Cobb is another character that is, that is morally gray and 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 kind of you know not as uh, as he seems uh, at the beginning of the film to ultimately at the end but uh that that also has again spoiler alert I think one of the best endings of, of any movie, uh, with uh, uh, Cobb at the end being reunited with his family and being unsure whether or not he's dreaming or awake, but he doesn't care and he's just happy to be there in the moment with his kids again. It's a it's a powerful moment that that people are still debating whether or not the scene is real or if it's a dream. And again, that's that's the power of Christopher Nolan as far as I'm concerned, that uh, he can make these films that are engaging and fun and that we can still be talking about all these years later. Uh, so that just leaves uh, two other films. And the first would be Interstellar. This is one of my favorite films uh, that he has done. I, I, would, I think it would be in the top two. It really is just an imaginative science fiction story I mean, it brings to mind 
films like 2001, it brings to mind films like even the first Star Wars movie, just in terms of its of its world building and its story. But what really does it for me are, are, are the characters. And, and I've mentioned McConaughey, but there's also Michael Caine in the film who gives another terrific performance. Anne Hathaway is fantastic in the film. And again, it's, it's a science fiction movie, but it's not in your face, uh, so to speak. It's a science fiction film with a heart and a brain. It's really trying to to say something about about mankind and about humanity. And again, you're not going there for explosions and and high stakes chases and battles. And there's no lightsabers, but it, it's really this this story about about mankind and and humanity and again our our place in the stars, our quest uh, to go beyond planet Earth and. It has some of the best cinematography uh, of, of any of Nolan's films, uh, you know, in addition to just fantastical, uh, fantastic cinematography. I mean, it's just, it's a breathtaking film to watch. I, I wish I had seen it in, in IMAX just to get the full experience of it. But, I mean, even now, you know, just watching it home on, on just a regular standard-sized TV, it, it's immersive, and, and you can't take your eyes off of it. Uh, so that then leaves me, of course, with, with the final film, and this uh, probably will come as no, no surprise, but Oppenheimer. I mean, there's a case to be made that this is Nolan's uh, magnus opus. It's a, it's a phenomenal, magnificent, powerful, haunting film about a complicated man. And, and if you've done any reading or know anything about Robert Oppenheimer, this was a very, very gray individual this was not a black and white person he was complicated he had he had depth he had nuance to him but he was also a patriot he got a he got a raw deal there has been some uh, you know design to to rectify it but uh god what a what a fantastic film and uh, i i will be praising this film for a long time to come because it is really been some time since the film has captivated me like Oppenheimer where I can't stop thinking about it. I think about certain scenes and and the impact. I think of just a a small scene in the movie where, again, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but Gary Oldman plays Harry Truman and it's just one scene with Truman and Oppenheimer and it's, it's one of the best scenes in the film. I mean, again, Gary Oldman, I, I don't have to say anything more. I mean, the man is another legend, and can, Killian Murphy as, as Oppenheimer is is brilliant, and, and I expect he will be nominated at the very least for an Academy Award uh, next year. But this one scene is absolutely fantastic, and it really gets to the heart of, of, of this whole movie and this whole struggle uh, that Oppenheimer was facing about the creation of this weapon and its ultimate use and implication not just for the united states but for the world and then just sort of reading behind the scenes a bit about this scene it was shot in the course of of an hour that's all gary olden was there and and just like bam it's 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 amazing what you what you can accomplish with such a high caliber talent and and frankly a great script and 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 no one delivered uh i i think you know one of his best with this film, particularly once you can get into the sort of the minutiae of it, that it was he wrote it largely in first person, which is a kind of uncommon uh, in terms of script writing, but also sort of speaks to the logic of all you uh, all you script gatekeepers out there. There is no one true 
format. There's no one uh, set to write a script, and Christopher Nolan uh, proved that. But uh, it, back to Oppenheimer, though, in all, in all seriousness, this is this is one of his finest films, and I mean, right now I have it in my in my top three. It, it is that magnificent, and, and it's it, the magnitude of it. it. It stays with you right until the the, the credits roll, and, the, and there's a final scene which is so beautiful and 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 haunting and again it's it's one of those moments that stays with you that's that's the the power of cinema and on that note i i will close and end this show by saying cinema is christopher nolan and christopher nolan is cinema just a fantastic director he never misses as far as i'm concerned and and he tells stories that are in some cases larger than life, but also engaging and sort of rouse you on an emotional and intellectual level. And and that, to me, is the best kind of filmmaker, and it's why I admire his work, and it's why I'm I'm being a fanboy right here, and I'm not ashamed uh, to admit it. I, he is one of the greats and uh, definitely deserves all of the praise and, and accolades coming his way. So there you go. There's my pitch. There's my, my episode Go check out his films if you have not done so. There's, there really is a little bit of something for everybody. And again, take it from me, I, I don't think he has a bad film. Even even a, even a semi-weak film is still a good film uh, any, any other day of the week. So do yourself a favor and, and check out at least one of his films, and you will not be disappointed. I think the four that I listed for you, The Dark Knight, Inception, Interstellar, and Oppenheimer our perfect introduction, if you will, and we'll give you a feel for his filmography. But that's all I have for you today, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and hearing what I have to say. I'll be back next week, and we'll do this all over again for the love of movies.